seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hello, friends. Welcome in for mile 84 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here alongside my good friend and marathoning companion, Cosmo. Good evening, Cosmo. How are you, my friend? Good evening, Coach. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. Well, thank you for having me here in the studio. We are late night recording under the lights (laughs) in San Suchi. (laughs) That's right. How would you describe your current mindset? Is frazzled an accurate (laughs) description of what the people are going to get in this episode? Potentially. Okay. It's been a wild week. Um, We just got the kids down. For the evening. That and, doesn't mean uh, me. That's actually your children. Right. Yeah, yes. The kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. Ready to talk running. Well, we've been talking a lot about training for longer events recently. So it feels like time to transition to some mid-distance talk. Mm-hmm. I know this is near and dear to your heart as you were in a mile training cycle last fall into winter. Yep. And you're hoping to roll back into that now out of, uh, we're kind of laying the base here for the summer, just started running again. Mm -hmm. How's your body feeling post-marathon? Man, a week off was really nice. Yeah. I didn't expect it, but it was a really nice change of of pace, uh, if you will. Yeah, well played. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I almost didn't want to get back to it the next week. I, I was I was realizing, I was remembering why I didn't run <laughs> before because it was, it was nice to have the time back. But honestly, from a mental health standpoint, I needed to get back to it and it's felt good to get back into the rhythm past couple of weeks. Thanks for ending that on a more positive note. I thought we were going to do an episode for a running podcast in which you just said, I no longer ever want to run again. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't put that out of the, the realm of possibility where I just fall apart on one of these things. God, I can't wait. Save it for mile 100. <laughs> Will do. I am now one workout deep into my summer of hills. Oh, nice. Upon my return from, like you, a week off, some easy mileage fired up to get at it again. I thought on my workout, my first hill workout in the summer of hills, Mm -hmm. I expected to see our good friend and loyal listener to the show, Dean Shehorn, jump out at the park with me and get on some reps because he's been talking about hitting hills with me. I then realized I was in a different state at the time, so it was unlikely to see him, but I'm laying it down right now, Dean. Let's share this summer of hills together. And I mean that in a completely romantic way. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I've seen on Strava that that Dean was getting into the summer of hills as well. Yeah, he's so, back at it. Yeah, he's getting... He is among the folks who have been accepted into Boston for the fall edition of the Boston Marathon. Nice. It is the fastest qualifying time necessary yeah. in the history of the marathon in the context of how far under your qualifying mark you needed to be to make it in yeah with field size limited this year we didn't have the race in 2020 mm-hmm. and in 2021 of course postponed from patriots day in the spring to columbus day in the early autumn all right in boston A whole bunch of people wanted to run that, and a lot of people got left out. Mm -hmm. As I have always said about the Boston qualifying mark, it should serve simply as a measure to make us shoot higher and get better. Mm -hmm. I would like maybe more consistency, a more clear knowledge that if you set the number here and you get to that, you're going to get into the race. Yeah. But as they continue to make it more challenging to get in, I am of the belief and in the camp that says all that does is raise the bar and force people to set their sights a little higher Mm -hmm. and be a little better to make it there in the future. 
Yeah. Part of the reason we think this is a great time to get into some mile strategy to pivot back to mid distance mm -hmm. is just last week we had the anniversary of Roger Bannister being the first man to break the four minute mile. Mm -hmm. That was all the way back in 1954. We are now closing in on 70 years. Wow. Since Bannister set that mark, of course, he passed away just a little bit over three years ago uh, after his fight with Parkinson's. The Bannister story is a remarkable one in what it did for the mindset of the ability to reach this target, mm -hmm. a number that uh, some doctors had said before the, a century ago that it was impossible. And in fact, it might kill a man mm -hmm. if he made the attempt we're going to start the conversation about the mile with some training elements mm -hmm. before we move into race day with warm-up and race strategy. And one philosophical point there when we get to the training tips that I find really interesting is Bannister broke this, first man to do it, and as a result, many other racers since have mimicked the Bannister approach of interval-based workouts as the cornerstone of mile training. The previous standard bearers were the Swedes in the 40s, who at best came within about a second of the four-minute mile. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were the godfathers of speed play, fartlek training style. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to look back and wonder, what if, what if in a time period that was fractured by the second world war the swedes had gotten there first what would our training look like might it in any way be different yeah. and can we pull elements of both into being the best miler we can possibly be today mile strategy is also significant here locally for a very specific reason upcoming event this is exciting we have a downhill mile coming up in greenville Mm -hmm. That is on June 11th, Friday, yep. June 11th. It's close to my birthday, Cosmo. Okay. I would expect that they probably are doing this as a celebration of life for me. I think Actually, I think a celebration of life is what you do when someone dies, that's right. isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been good. Right. <laughs> I'm glad we could at least have this episode <laughs> to go out with. Right. The Downville Mile. Yeah. We're kicking it off at 6 p.m. That Friday evening, June 11th, it's going to be out by Brewery 85. So there is an open Downville Mile and then the Elite Mile to follow it. Total elevation drop on this course of about 150 feet. So if you've been targeting a number and maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, this could be your opportunity to hit it. Yep. But more so just a really fun event. I don't think this is necessarily about just personal bests. Really cool, fun event out at Brewery 85. Bring the family, bring the pets, bring the babies in the strollers. That might be for you. Yep. Again, a two-division race, and we'll see what the fastest number anyone can put up is. Uh, registration is open. We will link registration. There's already been a ton of interest. Runsignup.com. We'll get the specifics to you again in the show notes. And a couple more things to add to that. We are going to do a brief course preview video. We appreciated all the love that came out from the folks who watched our YouTube video of the half marathon course yep. from the Greenville half back in late February. Mm -hmm. And so we will do a, uh, a much more condensed video. <laughs> It'll be one thirteenth of the length approximately <laughs> to give you an idea of the course there will be. This is straight from race director level. Uh -huh. Little inside info here. Okay. Only on the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. <laughs> there will be a timing device. Okay. I don't want to get anything more specific. Some sort of clock. Yeah. I don't know what else it could be. I assume it's going to be a clock. I don't know why I won't just say that. Mm-hmm. Bright clock. Sundial. Mm-hmm. Hourglass. <laughs> could be. At the halfway point. So you will be able to get your halfway split Great. on the course. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we will have a course video for you. 
There are uh, cash prizes for top three males and females in the elite race. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if there are still elite entries, free entries available, but I believe so. There is a time standard attached to that, so you can contact the race directors and get a free entry yep. if you are a fast guy like Cosmo. I already got mine. Yeah, you did. That's, I did, actually. That a boy. Yeah. Good. So... <laughs> Special thanks to the people at Go Green Events and Brewery 85 Yeah, for putting that on. Uh, Of course, Run-In is happy to be involved as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. I am still a, uh, what you might call a race time decision. Okay. For two reasons. No, that's, I I don't need to start this show by lying to people. Yeah, don't do that. For one reason. I mean, let's just cut the crap. One reason. I don't know that I can go out there and embarrass myself in a mile in front of all these people. You could do it. I could. Okay. Well, I was going to say the second reason. Okay. It just hurts really bad yeah, to run it. a mile fast. And it. that's part of the reason we're going to go through the, in this episode some of the strategies to help with that. But you know better than anyone, Yeah. having put it all out there for a big goal for you, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter if you're Bannister running four minutes or if you're just the guy down the street trying to break 10, mm-hmm. it's a challenging event if run to the best of your ability. Yep. So I don't know. I, mean, I think it'd be a lot of fun. But as I told you before we came on the air, I have some lofty fall goals that I have really no reason to believe that I can reach any of them. So okay. I better start working towards those rather than a really fast downhill mile. Well, you know, it's always available to you until... It's not. But after June 11th, it won't be. Right. Yeah. Let's catch people up on some recent mid-distance action. Let's do it. Because fitting to this episode, we saw some great races last weekend. Let's start it at the Oregon Twilight 1500. That was late night in here on the East Coast. I want to say it was maybe midnight-ish for this one. Cole Hawker has been an absolute sensation this year. But he was brought back down to earth. Yep. First defeat Mm -hmm. in quite a bit of time for Mr. Hawker in a great performance by Notre Dame mile star Yared Nagus. Uh, He edged out two ducks. Mm -hmm. Hawker was actually back in third. Mm -hmm. The time was fantastic. I believe the top seven runners in that event broke the Oregon Twilight meet record for the 1500, wow. the metric mile. Yeah, I got a text the next day from a friend of the show, my guy, JR. He said to me, where's my Nagoose shout out? He's a big Notre Dame fan, okay. fighting Irish, play yeah. like a champion, mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. And first I was super fired up because he's not a runner that he was paying attention and knew we had a great race in Eugene. I had to promise him we'd bring this up. It was a heck of a race. It does say something, though, about the potential to draw people into this sport even more when we see races like that. Uh, That's the kind of event that we have to keep getting out there more and more into the public space like we did later that weekend at the Golden Games at Mount Sac. NBC coverage. Kara Goucher's announcing distance racing now. Had her on the coverage. It starts again with the metric mile as the biggest story of the show. Yeah. Ellie Purrier. Of Vermont. Of Vermont. Dairy farm fame. That's right. Set a current season world's best in the 1500. This winter indoor, she set the American two-mile record. She is so strong right now. I cannot wait to see what she does at the trials. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what she does at the games, I'm kind of penciling her in. Maybe I shouldn't. I have to think 1500 is the bread and butter event for her. We'll see. I can't wait to see a showdown with her and hopefully Shelby Houlihan, who is kind of lurking in the shadows right now, lying in the weeds, sneaking around the chicken coop, as sometimes the Bowerman Track Club is known to do. They don't Mm -hmm. race a ton. So it's hard to know what condition she is in, but she has had a remarkable stretch over the past couple of years. That could be a fantastic duel if we see both of them at 1,500. We could see Shelby there, or maybe we see her at 5,000. Maybe we see her double. I don't know. I haven't read anything about their plan. 
but that was a fantastic race for Melly Perrier. The men's 1500 really became a duel between Ollie Hoare, the Australian of the On Athletic Club, and Canadian former Syracuse star Justin Knight in a race that was hyped up to see Craig Engels, mm. former guest here on the show, with the flow and the stash looking, <laughs> I'll say, as lustrous as ever. <laughs> but Hoare took it out hard, and Justin Knight was the only one who chose to go with him. And the gap they got was just too big for the rest of the pack. But ultimately, Ollie held on, had another gear at the end. Great race again in the men's 1500. And then in other mid-distance action there, the 800-meter races were both strong. The women's 800, those are training group partners, both under 159. Gemma Riki, that's a name you're going to get to know. Okay. Young star out of Great Britain. And her training partner, Laura Muir, maybe at Tokyo. And again, in the future, Riki is probably more 800 suited than Laura Muir, who is probably more mile oriented. Great duel between those two. And in the men's 800, it was Bryce Hopple. We thought this was building to the Hopple versus Donovan Brazier versus Clayton Murphy crescendo. Brazier pulled out beforehand so we saw hopple for the win followed up by ncaa record holder from utep michael saruni if you remember he broke jim ryan's 800 mark a few years ago and then didn't win the ncaa title and seemed to disappear a little bit but has re-emerged with a few good races this season uh saruni the kenyan had a strong kick to come into second in what looked like it was going to be a hopple murphy duel in the last lap but clayton murphy 2016 Olympic 800-meter medalist seems to be rounding back into form. Uh, So I'll go early prediction. Hopple, Brazier, and Murphy are your three 800-meter Olympians for the United States. All right. And that's a pretty strong group. Mm -hmm. I like what we could see there. Murphy, again, just shows that he's so strong. He's such a strength-based runner with such mile ability. And he, it was like he was never quite the same after he went for the the mile 800 double hmm. and world champs after mm-hmm. his Olympic medal. He's returned to his coach, Lee Labadee, from Akron. Okay. Great mid-distance coach. And I think you're starting to see him turn a corner. Since I mentioned Lee Labadee, Akron coach, as we transition now into our training tips for the mile... I do want to recommend some coaches that you look into and some reading out there you might enjoy if you want to learn more about mile training, uh, but also mile history, studying the event, what is one of those glamour events at a track meet, the mile, the 100-meter dash, the Mm 4x4 relay, Mm -hmm. those are special, And, and the crowd gets into those, and they hold a certain place in the history of running. Unfortunately, we don't see the mile in the Olympics. We see its metric counterpart, but boy, that number four minutes in the mile just still resonates, right? 70 yeah. years later. Yeah. So I mentioned Lee Labadee, really a great coach at this distance, but if I were going to give you a handful of folks to look at who who teach and coach this distance incredibly well, I'd start uh, with some recent folks you could look at Maybe a touch off the radar because he's only known for one athlete, but that's Scott Rasko, who was Alan Webb's coach, yep. uh, the American mile record holder, and a sub-four-minute high school miler. Ben Lanana, who was at Oregon and Stanford with huge success. Uh, if you've listened to previous episodes, Andrew Weeding, that was his coach at Oregon. Okay, uh, He's now at Virginia. We could add to that mix Joe V. Hill who is still influencing so many runners, but coached over a number of decades. He's so good at every event. Mm. Uh, you can look at it through his in, his text, Road to the Top, find his interviews. He's fantastic. To rewind a little bit in American history, the, the Bill Bowerman and Dellinger tradition at Oregon, in particular Dellinger, who succeeded Bowerman as the head coach there, and they had so many great milers in that program. We could go overseas. P. 
Peter Coe, what he did with Sebastian Coe in the late 70s and then early to mid 80s, one of the greatest mid-distance runners, 800, 1500 meter combo guys in world history. And then we could step back to Herb Elliott's coach to go back into the 50s and 60s. That's uh, Percy Sarity. And that training group, uh, Herb Elliott, I think, went something like three years without a loss at this distance Wow! in, in the late 50s. So uh, remarkable what they did. That whole Aussie and then Kiwi tradition that has so influenced middle distance running. Some particular books, though, that I w- would recommend that even as just a casual running fan, you might really enjoy. If you want to go more hard training stuff, Winning Running by Peter Coe is really quite good. And that is 18, excuse me, that is 800, 1500 meter specific. So it's not one of these all-encompassing texts like the Daniels running formula, if you want to dive into some very specific stuff yeah. uh, from their British approach. But then just incredible reads. On the Bannister anniversary, you have what was called The Perfect Mile, that book by Neil Bascombe, I believe came out on right about the 50th anniversary, I okay. want to say maybe 04, of Bannister breaking for, but also the race that would become the predecessor to all these dream miles that we have had since. The book chronicles not only Bannister, but two other men who were in hot pursuit of the four-minute mile at the same time. Okay. Uh, American Kansan West Santee, and then Australian John Landy. He and Bannister then met up at the Commonwealth Games, which is the British Empire meeting that occurred in Vancouver okay. that year. Both by this point had now broken four. Right. And so this was seen as the great duel because Landy had lowered the mark. He ran faster than Bannister. Okay, I want to say a month to six weeks after Bannister broke it. Wow. And so those two, without Santee, but those two met in, I think, what has been also called the miracle mile or the mm. perfect mile. Uh, I won't give away the outcome. Okay. Even though I would be spoiling an ending from a race <laughs> 70 years ago. Yeah. I would also recommend, we mentioned Alan Webb, uh, Sub Four Minutes, Alan Webb and the Quest for the Fastest Mile. That is by Chris Lear. If that name is familiar to you, he is of Running with the Buffaloes fame. Right. Uh, chronicled the University of Colorado, the Adam Goucher, Mark Wetmore era of their cross-country program. And so that's what he's best known for. But he followed that up by writing about Webb's freshman year at the University of Michigan, Uh, legendary coach Ron Warhurst. That is right after he broke the four-minute mile in high school. And we get to see the ups and downs of that season, some remarkable workouts. And... um, some really interesting interpersonal dynamics on the team as well. So those coaches, those books, if you're a fan of the mile or just interested in preparing yourself to better train for it, check them out. And if you have questions, send them along to us. You want to dive into the training now? Let's do it. Okay. Now this was sparked by you saying, I would really like to know more about how and why this differed from what I did to prepare for a half marathon or a marathon. Yeah. So we're going to look at those differences, but my immediate response to you, do you remember? Um, yes. You, do you I memorize all of our texts. You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do. Um, we had a whole string, a whole conversation about this. Yeah. Um, what was I it? think I used, did I do seven heart emojis? I, it might have been six. Okay, it might have been six. Yeah. yeah. I responded with, I love it, but it's also about the commonalities between the That's two. That's right. There's yes. a lot of commonalities. And so we want to see where we have similarity and where we have divergence. Right. And I jokingly alluded to this earlier. This is a hard event. Mm-hmm. I think when done right, there's a handful of events in track and field that just elicit a different kind of pain. Mm-hmm. And it's not even bad pain all the time. It's, 
It's know you're alive, oh baby, that burns kind of pain. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it on your face at the track, mm. timing you through one of these. Yeah. The 400, the 800, the 400 hurdles, the mile, they're different. Yeah. It's different kinds of pain, but... I, I, this may sound silly to some people in the audience. I'd rather run a marathon than those any day. <laughs> yeah, I understand. The Agreed. Feeling. I do. Yeah, yeah. And that's coming from a guy who just blew up in a marathon. <laughs> I just sauntered home the last five k in my last marathon. Uh, so it's a hard event. Yeah, we need to prepare with hard work. Yeah, and prepare ourselves for a physically and mentally grueling and exhausting few minutes. Yeah. It can be an incredibly complex and demanding event and and training as well. Yeah. As you deal with intense acidosis that you experience in your body, and you go through workouts where you're trying to work up this necessary lactate tolerance the training tips we're going to get into are meant to try to make those really complex elements more simple because as a general rule, I believe the simple typically sticks and it's easier for the general audience to internalize. Mm -hmm. Go back and dig into some of those coaches that I talked about that I referenced earlier. Yeah. If you want a better appreciation for the really complex stuff. I do. We're, we're going to pull some of those elements, okay, and that come from all of them that, that can work together for a really successful mile. We've had success. You've had success. We've had other athletes who have had great success in the mile. Oh, yeah. I'd like to be better. I'd like to coach it better. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see more of, of our runners reach their goal or achieve even better than their goal in this yeah. event. Yep. But I believe this is a good place for us to start. So I know you have your training calendar up over there, Cosmo. And let's dive into, in training first, um, more generally, those commonalities and differences okay. between training for a mile and, in your case, training for a half or a marathon Mm -hmm. For someone else, it might be a 5K or a 10K. Mm -hmm. I think the first and most significant similarity is this event is still very aerobic. Mm -hmm. We see varying percentages listed in studies of how much of the event is aerobic, but it's far higher than we once thought it to be. Mm -hmm. And the evidence suggests that aerobic capacity may be the single most significant variable here. Okay. Yeah, you got to be fast to run a really good one. Sure. But it is an event where like the 5, 10K, 15K, and on up, increased aerobic endurance can have a dramatic impact on mile success. Yeah. So I know you see that in a lot of easy days mm -hmm. in your calendar. But uh, what do we do with long runs there? Now, give, give them one or two examples of what you did for long run stuff. This is, again, leading up to a successful mile time trial. Yeah, so I guess we did about, uh, it was about two months, almost three months of training. It was, and as an aside, it was intended to originally be more like three months to mm -hmm. four, but we had the opportunity where we had guys who could do pacing, yep. we had good weather, mm -hmm. we had a weekend that it it all fell together that we thought, okay, let's go ahead and just give it a first attempt and yeah. see where we are. And yeah. we might try it again in a month, mm -hmm. but you nailed it on the first shot. Yep. And we thought, okay, this allows us more time to pivot to your bigger goal mm -hmm. of a spring marathon. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, we went, I mean, off the bat, long runs were still long runs. <laughs> yeah. We were still doing, you know, 15, 16 miles on the weekends uh, up, up to, you know, 16 to 18 miles, um, in that, that first month on, on the long run day. So we didn't, we didn't really back off there. A uh, part of that comes from knowing the individual athlete. Yeah. You had, before we started more formally working together, back when we just ran together, back when this relationship was just platonic, oh, yes. <laughs> you had put in 
uh, kind of condensed ultra mm. marathon segment. I, I did, yes. yeah. And so you were you were just eating mileage up, mm-hmm. and I had to rein you in on that. But I knew we have a guy who loves he loves to get out and run mileage. Yeah, that's right. And you had what little running background you had was from a marathon cycle a year before that. Yep. So let's stick with something that has done you well. Mm-hmm. I would point people to two great examples of the long run. I, I won't call it necessity because you could take a guy like we had Dan King on here, one of the best masters milers in the world. Mm-hmm. And given his overall physical condition at his age, he finds more bang for his buck from ah, long run's not necessary for me. Let's get quality workouts in. Right. And that works for, for a good number of people. Mm-hmm. So I won't say necessity, but I will say incredible value mm-hmm. that is packed into the long run. And so the two examples that I give are Nick Willis. First, yeah. New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to keep track because all these guys ahead of him at previous Olympics and world championships later got popped for PEDs. But I think he's got two Olympic medals mm-hmm. in the mile. Nick, well, who am I kidding? Nick's not listening. But somebody who knows Nick, maybe somebody who follows him on the Instagram. The Instagram. Could ask Nick to yeah. follow up with us. Yeah. <laughs> Multi-time Olympian, incredibly successful on the world stage. Yeah. Uh, still coached by Ron Warhurst from Michigan. Willis is still running sub four miles mm-hmm. in his late 30s. He's been running sub four miles for... And we're getting to the point where we're almost going to say Nick Willis is running sub four miles for a quarter century. Right. He's getting close. He's done it for now, like half of his life. It was it 20 years or so. I think we're at 18 or 18. 19 yeah, years right. yeah, that sounds right. of him doing this. It's crazy. Incredible. Yeah. From the start of this streak, he has always kept the long run in. And for him, that has pretty consistently been up to 18 miles. That's yeah. a sweet spot for him. Yeah. 18 miles is a long run sweet spot for people all the way up to half marathoning. Mm-hmm. He sees the incredible aerobic value. The other um, example I will give is to go back in time. Gosh, about a half century before Willis first broke four. And that is from the same part of the world. Peter Snell, 800 meters. Oh, I just, I got the chills even thinking about it, Dan. Okay. I would give, I was going to say my firstborn, but I don't have that. I would maybe sacrifice your firstborn okay. to see Peter Snell. <laughs> Tonight I might too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. And the way things got started here. Um, <laughs> Peter Snell, with modern technology in our current spikes, on not a cinder track, but on an all-weather, mondo, whatever track you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Let's put him at, uh, we take this to Eugene, to the new Hayward Field, Mm -hmm. and he goes up against, in his prime, he goes up against David Rudisha in his prime 2012 London Olympic kind of shape. Mm -hmm. Because Peter Snell would still be world-class today based on what he did on cinders on the training of over half a century ago. That's amazing. Are you looking up Peter Snell stuff right now on your computer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you give a. What's his What's his uh, eight hundred meter personal best? Put you on the spot. I th- I know this, but I'm not sure if I know it to the hundred. Let's see here. His eight hundred meter personal best was in 1962 in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. One minute forty four seconds. Forty-four point three seconds, should I say? There it is. That's need... right. We didn't go to we didn't go to hundreds. It was just tenths because we were That's hand right. timing. Yeah, so yep. rounded off. Yeah, back when we were hand timing. Yeah, those were the days. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what's going to be at the downhill mile. Great, we'll, we'll hand time at that <laughs> clock at the halfway point. I love it. He ran one forty-four. Yeah, sixty years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> It's remarkable what he might be able to do today. Yeah. Again, both Snell and Willis devoted to the Church of the Long Run. Yeah. Um, Snell often 18, 20 miles even on hilly courses was a big thing they did. Stemming from 
right? And we're going back to that Arthur Lydiard long run model, but we don't need to get into a bunch more coaches. Lydiard maybe deserves his own episode okay. on the way he developed modern training theory. Really, Lydiard is in a short list of guys who kind of broke the mold on how we train. Mm. Paradigm shifters. Okay. So you mentioned the long run. You did a lot of stuff that was 14 to 16 miles, some of it mm-hmm. easy, some of it steady, occasionally some surging or progression. Yeah. Another thing that we see here that is also in your half and marathon training is the hill work. Yep. The power from hills. I think it's a little bit different how we constructed it. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably did more of the short hill sprints, which yeah. we love for running economy. Yeah. We also did more of some of the medium to long hills. Yeah. I love the the both sheer joy and then pain that comes from the final seconds of a 60, 75, 90 second hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did uh, several times. We did 60 second hills at 5K pace. Yep. 5K pace probably means mile-ish effort. Felt like it. That's yeah. what I was just going to ask you on the yeah. feel if it seemed like it. Well, I did my first workout this morning for this this cycle, and it was eight by thirty second hills. Yeah, and at at five k, and it did feel like mile effort. I mean, it depends on the hill, I guess. Yeah, you know, but with the hills running this morning over there by Hampton Station for you locals, um, you know, it it felt uh, like mile effort. My recovery, instead of going right back down the hill, I'd go around the block. It's not, yeah. that, not that far of a little loop there. So um, got plenty of recovery um, after each one, but the effort was definitely on the fast side. Yeah, man. I don't know. I wasn't dead at the end of each one, but I was, I definitely, you know, the last five seconds of it was, were, were always grueling. So mm. um, it's power work, it's form work. Yeah. I know. It is, uh, well, to take a step back here we did some workouts like that multiple times and you gained some confidence from doing them multiple times yeah because you sent me splits of later attempts versus previous attempts that's right and what did we see yeah growth yeah the indicator of growth it got i mean it was it was easier and faster every time i felt like i could do more of them than you know where the previous you know i guess three weeks before so I felt like I was falling apart. So, yeah, definitely saw growth. We did hills up to three minutes, which mm-hmm. was more of a threshold hill type of workout. That's a workout that you could still love for a marathon. And that's going to be in my summer hills, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, David Roche uses it with ultra guys getting oh, prepped yeah. for hilly courses. Um, well, To go back to the episode I did at the beginning of the pandemic on hill training mm-hmm. as an option to get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. We referenced the Australian school of such success they had in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And that was one of those staples that they would go for up to three minute hills. That'll that'll make you feel some things. Yep. But there's a level of control to it. And as I said to one of our athletes this week, Hills, again, force you into good habits. Mm -hmm. That knee lift, get your eyes up at the grade of the top of the hill while in ways protecting you from the impact forces of trying to run that hard on a track. Talking about long hills and threshold style work, there's a lot of threshold or uh, we've talked about maybe critical velocity type stuff that you did in both settings. Yep. No, I have an example up here as I look at your calendar. You did six by five minutes at threshold, one minute easy. That's a difficult workout, Mm -hmm. Uh, 30 total minutes of threshold work for a miler. Now, remember that you could do lactate work in a different way. If you are more of a track speed type of runner than Cosmo is, we could also do short intervals on short rests. I mean, heck, you could do these... They could be fast, relatively fast 200s with short breaks even mm-hmm. that, that could work on this skill in a different way. It's uh, not to beat a dead horse, but I just love the way Steve Magnus references this as 
the pushing and pulling of threshold work where you're working slightly faster and slightly slower. So if the goal is to improve 15K pace, uh, you're working at it in a 10K range and you're working at it at 15K and you're working at it at half marathon range. Mm -hmm. Any other example you have there of looks like stuff we did later on again in your marathon training? Um, I was just looking at the two to three minute hills that we were discussing earlier at about threshold pace, mm -hmm. uh, six minutes or so, a little faster than threshold, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was I, 10K pace, I think, was the 10, goal there. 10K pace, yeah. sounds right, yeah. Now, we got to remember, uphill at 10K pace, mm -hmm. what does that effort translate to? That's an even faster effort when right. we had you do it that quick. Right. I'd look to, there's a few combination workouts that yep. we did, yep. right, where you might have done Ks That's right. at 10K pace, mm -hmm. and then you followed them with maybe 200s, maybe hills, Yep. Maybe then after that strides right? Uh, where we, we packed those together, we did that several times. Yeah, closer to, to the mile, um, we were doing those Ks, 200s, and hills in the same workout. Right, and so we transitioned, and this is a good thought for everyone, we transitioned away from uh, maybe the simpler, straightforward threshold stuff into these combinations where then we added things that were a little more race-specific to yeah. it. So this is a, a bit of a blending of what is similar and dissimilar in the two types of training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I always enjoyed that. I think we've done that on the marathon training as well. Yep. Um, yep. And I like, I mean, especially as we would, you know, earlier on in the cycle, you know, we would do more of that threshold work or that specific work and then blending the different types of workouts together later on. Um, mm. I, I don't know. It almost gets you in, um, it, it gets you uh, uh, thinking about how your body's going to feel in the moment. Yeah. Um, a little more than, than it did doing those workouts earlier on um, that weren't blended. So that's at least that's what I got out of them. Um, I think that's a nice segue now to the stuff that is different. Okay. Because those commonalities when we add those workouts plus just your easy days and your strides neuromuscular work yeah probably i'm looking through these calendars probably 75 percent or more of the total plan for your mile and the plan for your marathon overlapped in some way mm -hmm. and so that's the big point i want to get across to everyone about the similarities now let's go to the things that are dissimilar and those tend to be more mile specific to prepare you for the demands of that event. Those very specific and challenging demands of racing the mile or 1500 meters. We used a combination of both date and goal mile pace work. Mm -hmm. That's language that is typically most associated with having come from the Oregon school, the Bowerman Dellinger work of what could you run it in today and what is your goal? And yeah. we need to work on both a little bit. Right. So for date pace work, uh, I'm looking at Cosmo the 5th of November last year. Mm -hmm. This is a favorite of mine in that it gets you away from the track. You could do this on the track too, but it could be in fartlek form. And that is 90 seconds at current mile effort. Yeah. That's tough mm -hmm. to hold that for 90 seconds. To give you a, a, a parallel, if you were Bannister and running a four-minute mile, you'd be covering 600 meters. Yeah. One of our athletes who ran a 358 mile, we did this work. We did 600s at mm. mile pace, and wow. it's tough. Yeah. And we, I think we did it as in the context of some sort of breakdown, uh, which is a real popular Vin Lanana approach mm. where you might break a K down and do 600 at one pace and then a recovery, short recovery, and then 200 at another pace and 200 even faster kind of thing. Gotcha. Whatever the numbers are that add up to... Maybe it's a K or it's a mile that you've broken down. Yeah. So in this case, we did some date pace work, 90 seconds at mile effort. That is really pulling in that first taste of what you're in for. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I like to do this as a fartlek early on. 
Yeah. Um, we established current mile effort by using a two mile time trial. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend that for folks. Use a time trial that is three um, k, two miles. You could even use five k. You could go out and race a mile also. Sure. Uh, but with any of those distances, then you could put them into a calculator and figure out an approximation of what that means. Yep. For your two-mile time trial, I had a good sense of where your strengths and weaknesses were, and I tinkered with the number just a touch. Yeah. And then in between those 90-second segments, three minutes of recovery. And the fart like since three minutes easy. I've also done this workout um, on the turf, barefoot okay so it's going to slow you down a little bit mm-hmm. but this is nice to work on some foot strength too oh, yeah. the barefoot running can get you some foot strength so i've occasionally done it there particularly earlier on when we're just feeling it out mm-hmm. but when you did it then again on the 4th of november we had done the same workout six weeks earlier yep the first time and so now we're cycling back through it to show growth um, do you have any numbers on that to know how the average improved there? Yeah, I think I do. Um, so six weeks prior, my paces were per mile, 521, 548, 523, 543. So it's around about 530 or so. Yeah, so you're bouncing around because you're doing it in a fartlek format, and yeah. we got to figure in the terrain that you're on, the grade. There's hills involved, and... You know, on the trail, also, you're going to have in and out with the GPS as possible occasionally, but we'll roughly say 530 pace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, six weeks later, uh, it averaged out probably around between 515 and 520. Okay. So and some significant pro- yeah, progress. Yeah, 15-ish seconds. Yep. And then, of course, it's another month or so before you actually ran your mile. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in, put it on the track put competition out there, mm-hmm. then you made another jump, an even bigger jump right? the next time. Yep. So if you're doing it with an honest appraisal of effort, this can be a nice way to show growth, to, to go back to a workout again later on. You don't have to change any of the other variables. The recovery stayed the same. Yep. The length of the, the on or interval period stayed the same. Uh, it was just showing that maybe not, well, to paraphrase the great American cyclist Greg LeMond, it doesn't get any easier. We just get faster. Yeah. And so I don't want to say that it was easier, but if we had done that at the same pace that you did six weeks earlier, it would have been easier. Right. That perception of effort. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just looking at this log, man. It, it seems that uh, it actually ended it with a five minute at a five minute mile pace. Okay. The, the earlier, uh, the first four, or excuse me, five to six were pretty controlled. I just let loose on the last one. It looks like, and it, and it, and I made a note that I was working hard, but uh, I found a rhythm with my breathing this time that I didn't find the the six weeks prior, and it, it felt a lot more sustainable. That's a nice point. It suggests that you you're going to work hard in a mile race. Sure. And so, if you found a rhythm, you might not have been overdoing it. You might have just had that in the tank to show, hey, I can run even a little bit faster than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like I was fairly pleased with <laughs> with this workout compared to six weeks before. So yeah, whatever we did in those six weeks, it worked. To well, well, we'll go to a few of the things that we did in that time. To go to some goal pace work, one of the first things we did was two hundreds, well, just rhythm two hundreds, where you're working at goal pace for two hundred meters and then jogging for two hundred, mm-hmm. just to get you acclimated to what that feels like. So that's an option folks could do as they start to work toward, can I do more 200s at the goal pace? Can I cut the rest? Whatever it might be. But first, just getting the rhythm down. Mm -hmm. And then later, what we progress to is one of my favorites, which is a really hard acidosis work. In your case, we did it with 200s. You could do it with 300s. I'm going to touch on an Alan Webb workout where he actually started with 400s and then it just got even harder, but that is 200 at goal pace. And then the rest is approximately equal. So if you were, again, we'll use the four minute example with Bannister. If you're a four minute miler, you're doing twos in 30 seconds or threes in 45. Mm -hmm. And then you get that short recovery where you only get 30 seconds after that 200 and then boom, you got to go again. Yeah. 
I've seen this done in a do it until you can't do it anymore method until you drop. Mm -hmm. I think the returns have diminished by that point. Yeah. But I'm okay with going a few more than you might think you can do. Yeah. Uh, there's certainly a confidence boost there. Sounds like a workout from once a runner. Except that, yeah, they would have done it like 60 by two. Bruce, Bruce right. Denton would have gone back to the cabin. I should have put him on my list of coaches. Bruce Denton would have gone back to the cabin yeah. while Cassidy ran. And somehow the workout would have started at noon, but now it's dusk. Right, exactly. And he's still doing 400 meter reps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 200s, maybe 300s. I think those are manageable distances for yeah. the runner who... Uh, again, let's say you want to break six minutes in a mile, 45 seconds for a 200, 45 seconds recovery. I really like just standing or walking recovery here. Okay. Let's really, and that's not something I normally would say I right. like. Uh, typically, especially with longer distance stuff, I like the jog or the walk. But sometimes just that standing, just a barely walking around, just to compound how much junk you're building up in your legs right here. This is, right. A, this is a feel the junk workout. Uh -huh. So like that is a logical progression on goal mile pace. Another that I, that I like a lot, this actually comes from Scott Christensen. So I'm just, I'm going to keep throwing coaches out here. Okay. A very successful high school mile coach in Minnesota. Um, I believe at one time I, I and I think this to still be true. He had the most runners who had come through his program. They didn't do it in high school. They didn't break four in high school, but the most who came through one program and eventually did break four mm, okay. later in their careers, yeah. like Ben Blankenship, who's okay. been a great miler, American miler for a long time now. He loved this uh, workout that is somewhere in the five-ish seconds faster than goal mile pace. Okay. The the faster you get, the the number may trim down just a little bit. Uh, so, for example, if you if you've sped up to be a let's say you were a four twenty miler, a very good division three collegiate kind of runner, and your trying to push down into elite at that level guys who are now running 410 and and under. Yeah. Your 420 guy, if you did the math on this 5 seconds faster per lap mm -hmm. than goal pace, you're running 65s at 420. So it would be asking for 60s. Yeah. It starts to get hard when you to do that 8 times when you're getting really fat like that would be Bannister doing 8 by 55 seconds right, right. you might just not have the turnover mm -hmm. uh Christensen found for example with 420 guys if they could hit 61 even mm -hmm. it tended to translate whereas the 5 minute miler mm -hmm. who's running 75 seconds a lap yep. 70 is more realistic for this challenge here gotcha. so you're using your goal mile pace and this is, again, a big-time acidosis workout that's going to pack some punch in the later reps. Mm -hmm. If you can still run it at the end or you can run the last one or two faster, mm -hmm. that's big time. Okay. You yeah. had this on the yeah. on the calendar, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, so we put in for you six to eight times just to feel it out. If we were going to do it multiple times, we'd go to eight. But this is a good recovery on this, okay? The banister bread and butter that now everybody just assumes means you can run a mile at X pace is to run your goal pace for a 400 10 times, and they'll put like two minutes rest in between. Okay. I don't know if it's actually very meaningful. It just became an indicator because a guy like Bannister and a guy after him did it, and they were really fast, so yeah. let's use it. Why not? Uh, but these are faster, but then we increase... The rest, you can take up to three minutes in between these mm -hmm. again, and I think have a really successful workout. Quickly then, some, some faster stuff that I think is significant as well. If you're doing the downhill mile or mm -hmm. another downhill type of race, uh, overspeed stuff, slight downhill strides, you can even use those for track or flat road races. Mm -hmm. Be really careful about how downhill it is. Right. We're talking about like crown of the football field to the sideline of the mm -hmm. football field kind of downhill and you're not even going to run it straight across you're going to run at an angle across mm -hmm. the field but it does create the ability to turn over faster than you otherwise could gotcha. and doesn't that happen 
when we run downhill in a race yep. and we need to be able to manage the mechanics. Yeah. Uh, but overspeed training could be good. And then you may want to dabble into something that, especially if we were to go shorter, like 400, 800 work, I think is really valuable, could be what you might call in and outs or sprint float sprints. And this would be like a 40 meter sprint, a 50 meter roll on or float where you're just coasting. I'm not hitting the brake. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this analogy before. I'm instead just letting off of the gas and then... I hit the next cone and boom, here we go again, all out. Mm-hmm. So I'll set these up sometimes at the track for our milers. It might be 150 meters and I'll have a cone at each 50 mm-hmm. and it's hammer, float, hammer. Mm-hmm. Generally, you want pretty good amounts of rest on these. Okay. All right. Uh, more complete recoveries here so that you can maximize your gains. Yeah. To the point of the downhill strides, if it's on the road, know your terrain. Like if you're getting a significant downhill, or on the flip side, if you run a road mile and it's got an uphill, like we always see this with the Fifth Avenue Mile, which mm-hmm. is a great event in New York that's always on uh, NBC coverage. Yeah, it's got elevation changes. Be aware of that for your mile and uh, incorporate it and adapt your training accordingly. If you're not just racing on a track, yeah, it's a lot of workout ideas there. Yeah. Any other questions? That did that create some clarity for you on similarities and differences it did i want to end this part of the discussion before we transition into what is going to end up being the next episode we're going to split this into two and we'll have for you next week the pacing um excuse me first the warm-up plan that we like before a mile and then some strategy and pacing ideas i'm going to end this segment with the workout Alan Webb did late May of 2007. 2007 will forever be known as the summer of Webb. Mm. I don't know that anything else happened that summer. Yeah. I don't remember. No, it's not worth remembering any of it. Mm-mm. Just Webb. I think the next summer was like the recession. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Sounds right. <laughs> so let's just stick with 07. That was a lot better. Yeah. Alan Webb. In the lead up to his American record mile, 346.9. Mm-mm. Whew. Okay. <laughs> um, That's crazy. Webb had this incredible training here in, in 07 that it never manifested itself in any big race victories. He does get some criticism for that. But it was an incredible bounce back from a lull he had. People felt like he didn't quite live up to that high school hype. Mm. And his coach, Scott Rasko, had him go through a 20 by 400 meter workout. They split it into five sets of four. Mm -hmm. The rest between reps changed over time. The rest between sets always stayed the same. It was always three minutes between each of the sets. So after every four, you took three minutes off. Mm -hmm. But the rest between the reps gradually increased. And that's a tool you could use. You could go the other way and decrease it. The brilliance, I think, though, of Rasco here is if we increase the reps, excuse me, if we increase the rep rest, it's going to allow him to still hit numbers and possibly Mm. even hit faster numbers and build a confidence of regardless of what I felt like on 16, 17, 18, and 19, Mm -hmm. I crushed 20. And so the rest started out at 20. uh, 20. No, the rest started out at 60 seconds per rep. That was essentially a one-to-one that he started with because he, he opens this up running a 62. He works his way down slowly and runs the last one in this set at 57.6. Okay. After each set, we bump up the rep rest a little bit. Second set, he goes from about 61 to 58 high. Okay. Third set, he goes from 59.4 down to 57.1. All right. Set four, we are now 12 four hundreds deep mm-hmm. he goes from 57.9 to 56.6 at this point rasco's giving him i believe it was a minute and a half no actually now we're slightly longer a minute mm-hmm. 45 between the reps okay. but he's running fast yeah in the last set he goes 57 56.5 55.6 mm. 
two minutes rest after this. Wait for it. Rep 20. 50.1. Just let it all hang out there, I guess. <laughs> 50. He closes. Wow. In 50.1 on the 20th rep of 400 meter work in which he only, in those 20, only had five reps the entire time that were at or above 60 seconds. That's amazing. I'm not telling you to go out and do that, by the way. I'm just saying that's pretty incredible and says something about where he was at that point in his career. Yeah, that's amazing. That's fast. I I would have thought that the rest would, you know, it would get... That it would descend. Descend instead of ascending. But it makes a lot of sense to build that confidence later on. There's a time and place for each. That's a great lesson from that workout that everybody can take to whatever your goal is for the distance you're training for. Next time, we are going to go to ideas for your warm-up before your mile race. And you can take that and tweak those a little bit for other distances as well. And then pacing tips, racing strategy for day of. So we're looking forward to that in mile 85. Again, runsignup.com, Downville Mile. Look in the show notes for the link to the web address to sign up. Would love to see people out at Brewery 85 in Greenville for a tremendous event. Cosmo, any last words of wisdom for our dear friends? Don't forget to look up. Nailed it, as always. That's it for mile 84 of Seconds Flat. Stay tuned. For the second installment of our Mile Strategy series.